Hello, you are listening to Second City Sermons, a ministry of Second City Church in Midtown Harrisburg. This Advent and Christmas tide, we are going to consider together the great O Antiphons. We know them today in the famous hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, but they date back as far as the 6th century and by the time of the 8th century were widely used in the liturgies of the seven days that led up to Christmas as sort of an Advent within Advent. Each verse highlights for us part of what we long for in the first and second coming of Jesus, and therefore part of what we are given in the gift of Jesus. It's our hope that these sermons will both help you prepare for and to celebrate the gift of Jesus. We'd love to meet you, and we hope you'll consider coming and joining with us each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the heart of Midtown Harrisburg. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope you enjoy this sermon. God bless. Lord, we uh, pray that this morning our hope and our desire would only increase uh, for your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, that we would have a greater sense of our need for Jesus. Maybe even a greater sense of the, the frailty of our humanity, of our human leaders. Lord, give us yourself. Come among us. God, meet us in this hour. Lord, um, some of us have been so busy in the busyness of the season, maybe the end of a long semester for students and teachers. Some of us sitting in the sadness of our season with loved ones who aren't with us, or estranged family and God, we come here with, with so much going on in our hearts and in our lives. We pray that you would soften our hearts and calm our bodies and our restless minds and move in us, Lord, in this time. That all the desiring of this season might ultimately be a desire for you. Hear our prayers now. Amen. Okay, we've come uh, to O Come, Root of Jesse, O Come, uh, Key of David. I just titled the sermon, O Come, Son of David. Uh, We're working our way through the O Antiphons, and what I've suggested to you is that in the original and how they're structured, not in how we sing them in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, but they actually follow some of the story, the the chronological narrative of Holy Scripture, wisdom being that which uh, we have in Psalm or Proverbs 8 and um, Colossians 1 and John 1, the, the reality of the wisdom of God in creation ordering all things. And the way of wisdom is to live into that order that God has created out of his own wisdom. And then we looked uh, together last week at uh, the reality of Moses and God saving his people in their long longing, their long waiting in uh, slavery down in Egypt, but also how he gave them the law out of his kindness to them. Uh, to be a blessing to the nations. And then the next two stanzas, we're going to take them together, have to do with David. And I want to begin by just saying this, that great leaders are hard to come by. Um, That just seems to be true of the world and of time. Great leaders are hard to come by. Great mayors, as our city has known from time to time, are hard to come by. Um, Great teachers can be hard to come by. Great pastors you know, so many, so often in the news, how often there is pastoral failure. 
Great pastors are hard to come by. Great presidents are very hard to come by. Some of you know that um, one of President Lincoln's, actually the second son that he lost, one of, one of his sons passed away, died, they believe of typhoid, while he was the president. William Wallace Lincoln. William was not named after the great Scotsman, but uh, I believe his mother's uncle. William Wallace Lincoln. He was blue-eyed. He was good-natured. Lincoln and his wife reminisced of how much they loved the noises that he would make running around the White House. Um, One of their family friends said this of Willie, that he was the most lovely boy I ever knew, bright, sensible, sweet-tempered, and gentle-mannered. Just nine months after the beginning of the Civil War, the beginning of the Civil War when um, our nation was in the dark days of fighting against itself, Lincoln lost his 11-year-old son. And there in the room with his dead son, he cried out this, My poor boy, he was too good for this earth. God has called him home. I know that he's in a much that he is much better off in heaven, but then we loved him so. Um, Elizabeth Heckley, she was a former slave, and she also designed and made most of Mrs. Lincoln's wardrobe. Uh, She was in the room then with Lincoln. She watched him bury his head into his hands, read his tall frame, convulsed with emotion. You can imagine a father losing his son. She stood there at the foot of the bed in silent, awestruck wonder, marveling that such a rugged man could be so moved. And this is what she she wrote. I shall never forget those solemn moments. Genius and greatness weeping over love's lost. Genius and greatness uh, love and compassion, and care. Great leaders. Um, The funeral um, took place at Fourth Presbyterian Church. Some of you know of that church still to this day down there. Uh, Now it's in Bethesda. Um, And Willie was then put in the crypt at Oak Hill Cemetery in Georgetown. One of uh, Lincoln's friends He sat behind Lincoln in church each Sunday. It seems as though they sat in the same places each Sunday, just like you do. Um, He said this, though, that that Lincoln's demeanor changed after that. It became something that his friend said approached awe. Lincoln often went to the cemetery to sit and to mourn. And it was written... um, in a newspaper at that time, that soon after his son was laid there in the crypt in that cemetery, that in the days afterwards, Lincoln actually went and he took Willie out from his casket in the crypt and just held him and just wept with his son in his arms. Um, His son died and he knew experientially, this is what most people write about this event, that the reality, he knew the reality of what most of the nation was experiencing. Their children going off to war and dying. And his compassion for his country just swelled up within him 
after these events, knowing the death of his own child. Jed Stalker and I were talking earlier this week, and he was telling me about a book named Lincoln and the Bardo. I haven't read it. Um, but it talks about this intermediate state, the Bardo being this intermediate state in Buddhist thought, but he intentionally actually mixes all these different kind of religious thoughts. But this intermediate state between, the de between death and the afterlife. And the book is set there at Oak Hill Cemetery. And there at Oak Hill Cemetery, these ghost figures of this intermediate state, the Bardo, these men and these women, these older folk, and these younger folk, these the slaves and the free, they all come together around Lincoln coming to visit his son. All these different people are overwhelmed in a way by this reality of this great leader coming with his great compassion to his child. What I'm just suggesting to you is the great leaders are hard to come by, and even in a state of death, you're drawn to them. Don't leave me. Come and be with me. So what characterizes great leaders? Um, well, in some ways, we just think of this kind of situation. A great leader is somebody who is characterized by care and compassion, um, empathy for the experience of those that they are leading. Um, we think of somebody who cares for the entirety of the people that they are leading. Uh, maybe especially we think of somebody who cares for the weak and the vulnerable, the slave, the oppressed, the poor. Um, we think of somebody who pursues safety, goodness, uh, righteousness, who loves good deeds. You know, we think of people like Nehemiah. Do you remember that quote that I mentioned to you numerous times? Um, if you want to be a good leader, it said, read Nehemiah. It's the only one that they mention in the Bible, though. Good leaders are hard to come by. Nehemiah, he saw the need in the world, and he saw his power and how he could act in the world. And he used his gifts for the blessing of others and the good of his community and the good of the world about him. Not only that, Nehemiah saw the gifts that other people had, and then he equipped them. and He called them to something great, to act in the world out of who they're made to be and how they can bless the world about them. Good leaders act, and they see others, and they call one another to action. Good leaders also seem to have a way with words. Um, many of you know that Lincoln had an amazing way with words. Of course, some of this is known through his speeches. Uh, the famous Gettysburg Address, four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. You know it. That whole speech is 272 words long, and I'm already 670 words into this sermon, um, which is true. I looked it up before I said that. I mean, earlier I typed it, okay. Um, Lincoln was known for stories and jokes. One of his good friends, Ward Hill Lehman, wrote this, No one knew better than Mr. than Mr. Lincoln that genuine humor is a plaster that heals many a wound. And certainly no man ever had a larger stock of that healing balm or knew better how to use it. Do you know that two books were written and published while he was still the president that were entirely devoted to Lincoln's jokes? I'm not kidding. This is amazing. One of them was titled, uh, Old Abe the Jokester. 
I actually found you can buy a first edition and it goes for a lot of money. Um, the other one is called The Humors of Old Abe. Both published while he was still the president. A year after he lost his 11-year-old son. What do we long for in a leader? Um, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, he's the one that writes about this root of Jesse. Um, the shoot that's going to come out from the stump of Jesse. Someone who would come and rule like King David. Isaiah was writing that in the year 740 B.C. He was writing in the southern kingdom of Judah. And he was writing, we know, this is what he says, in the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah had been the king in the southern kingdom for 52 years. And what we know is that he was the greatest king since Solomon other than Jehoshaphat. King Uzziah was great. But at the end of Uzziah's life, his pride got the better of him. His life was taken because his pride got the better of him and he sinned against the Lord. And Isaiah is sitting there in the year 740. Um, for your information, uh, Solomon was about... 930, 935-ish B.C. So it had been nearly 200 years of a divided kingdom of Israel, and 12, 10 northern tribes, the two southern tribes. And it had been 200 years of mostly horrible kings. And he's longing for the day that maybe they will have a king that will reign perfectly. Looking back on David and Solomon, maybe Jehoshaphat, maybe the good days of Uzziah, and longing for someone to reign and to come and to lead with justice and with righteousness. His waiting was long. He'd largely experienced, and Israel had largely experienced, long, long waiting. For someone to lead them. This is what Isaiah says in chapter 11. I'm going to read 10 verses. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall, be, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. The young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox, like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for all peoples, of him shall the nation inquire. And his resting place shall be glorious. What do we long for in a good leader? 
we long for in a leader? Wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, the fear of the Lord. One who judges not from what their eyes see or just what their ears hear, but in righteousness. And they judge for the cause of the poor and the meek. One who judges the wicked and the wrongdoing. And who's marked by righteousness and by faithfulness. Think about the, the extent of peace that this picture shows for us. What we long for is a leader who will bring in peace. The wolf dwells with the lamb. The leopard lies down with the young goat, a calf and a lion, and it even says a fattened calf to make it sound extra juicy for a lion. I'm sure that's why that detail's there. They're together. A nursing child plays by the den of a cobra and a weaned child by the den of the adder. I don't even think our minds have any idea of how to comprehend this kind of peace. Partly because of the world that we live in, a world that is so fraught with violence, violent language, violent actions, guns, violent actions from animals against animals. I mean, think about this. What does a wolf do with a lamb? Do we know the idea of, I mean, does a lamb, does a, is a wolf a wolf if they don't try to eat a lamb? I mean, it's sort of, we almost think of it as what it is. It's a violent creature. What we long for is a leader to lead us into the way of peace and righteousness and goodness. Under this, under this leader, it says hurt doesn't happen. Hurt. Just a big old category. Destruction is no more. It sounds amazing. And because it does, where it actually leads to is that it's a sign for all peoples. And it says that all nations inquire of it. That's not surprising, is it? Because we're drawn to someone like that, that could bring in a peace like that. All nations, all people would say, what? What is going on here? Tell me about who this is. This is what you long for. This is what you long for in a leader and a king. Now, you got to understand this if you're going to understand the real importance of one coming as the son of David, the root of Jesse, the key of David. What you have to understand is that this rule and this picture, it never ends. It never ends. Okay, think about the promise to Abraham. The, the, the Abrahamic covenant is, is this, at the core of the Abrahamic covenant is God blessing God, calling Abraham to himself and blessing him and saying that through you I'm going to bless all nations. Right there in Genesis chapter 12, we understand that God is not giving up on his world, a world that's full of rebellion and a full of sin, a world that just in chapter 11 is building a name for itself, this great tower that they would be great. God says, I'm not going to give up on this world. I'm going to pursue it and I'm going to pursue it in its completion, its, its entirety, all of them. God's desire is to bless not one little tribe, but the entire nation. Um, his desire is for the world. We're told in Genesis chapter 12 that the descendants of Abraham will be as numerous as the stars of the, of the sky and the sand of the seashore. So Abraham, Abraham's promise, the Abrahamic covenant, is for all people. That's something we all found, find deeply beautiful. The Davidic covenant is for all time. Look with me again at 1 Chronicles chapter 17 that, that Jed read for us. 
When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. One of your own sons. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son. I will take, not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you. But I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever. And his throne shall be established forever. You see, what we long for in a leader is not just somebody who can kind of put things together for a little while and then leave, but somebody who's going to put things together for us forever. The peace that passes all of our understanding, covering all things forever. Psalm 146 said, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. And it ends, the Lord will reign forever. What you long for in the world is God to come and to rule perfectly and eternally. Um, I want you to think just quickly how passing our good leaders are, even our great leaders. Maybe you can think of your favorite president and how short-lived their term was. Maybe think of your favorite teacher. They had such a great impact on your life. And then I can think of so many teachers whose names I completely forget. Think of the downfall of so many churches who put such an emphasis on your vote. On getting out the vote. Their main thing is to speak politics. And they betray in some ways the eternal reign of King Jesus because that is their emphasis. You know the folly of putting your hope in something that is passing? The whole New Testament begins with this genealogy, and I did not think, I wasn't thinking that Jed was reading this morning, but I'm glad he was. Um, the whole New Testament begins, this is the very beginning of the New Testament, is a genealogy that begins with Abraham, with David, and talks about the deportation. And in some ways it's telling us, hey, you're not going to understand who Jesus is unless you understand the Old Testament. That's why we're all Bible Christians. But it's highlighting for us Abraham and David. And Jesus as the one that is fulfilling that promise, those promises. The one who would come and all nations would inquire of him. And he would reign for all time. So thinking of uh, leaders this last week, I, I just Googled that wonderful instrument, Google. Who's the greatest president ever? And as you might imagine, um, there have been so many polls done. So many polls done about who's the greatest and who's the worst president. Um, and most of them, thankfully, are made up of people who should be in the know. History professors, uh, students of law, political scientists. People that hopefully study presidents well. Not random pastors in Harrisburg. Um, and as you, might, as you might expect, there's some differences over time with some of these polls. Um, some of them lean in a certain political direction and some lean in another. I mean, so if one, 
you know, leaned maybe more sort of with Democrats on it. They might have a few presidents of higher ranking than ones that might lean more Republican, things like that. Um, but for the most part, all of that debate happened sort of in the middle part of these, of these rankings. It's amazing. Most polls have your top five pretty consistent and your bottom five pretty consistent. The top presidents, well, people like George Washington, FDR, Teddy, Consistently at number one is Lincoln. Consistently. Here's the thing that really surprised me. Who are at the bottom consistently? And I almost hated writing this in my sermon to share with a bunch of Pennsylvanians. But pretty much the consensus is that the worst president was James Buchanan. The president who preceded Abraham Lincoln. Guess who was most consistently ranked the second worst? Andrew Johnson, the president who succeeded Lincoln. What's the point? Brothers and sisters, our greatest leaders in this world. The ones who stir in your heart, you say, yeah, I'm going to go where you're going to take me. Lead us. Their lifespan is short. Their leading is short. Put not your hope in princes, the kings of this earth, in presidents and senators, and all of that, don't dismiss it as not worth your time. It's not worth your hope. Leaders, Lincoln, King Uzziah, 52 years of reign. Hosphat, Solomon, led to the divided kingdom. King David. They're all passing. They're all passing. Their rule is short-lived at best. What our hearts long for is Emmanuel. What you desire in your life is Emmanuel. God with us. God coming among us. What our hearts long for is the one who will come and fulfill the promise to Abraham, right? The blessing to all peoples? Irrespective of age, or stage, or race, or what they can do for me, a nation, and who will reign for all time, whose reign will never end. See, in the longing of this season, the longing of, the, of Advent season is just a picture of our whole lives. We all know that we always sit in longing, right? We all have these deep desires all of our lives for things to be put right. To, for there to be a world where there's no more hurt and destruction anymore. That's what so much of our time is spent on, this deep longing. As I mentioned, this echo of Eden. For things to be right. The world to be put to right. What we long for in all of this 
is Jesus, is King Jesus. That is what your heart is always pointing towards. And unfortunately, most of the time in this life, we're grasping after these other things. Maybe this one, maybe this person can fulfill my deep longings. Maybe this thing will at least take it away for a little while. What the Bible tells us again and again and again is what you are longing for is Jesus. Jesus. For he will reign forever and forever. His kingdom will have no end. Let me pray for us. Lord, we, we do long. We think of how much of our mental energy and our heart's energy is aimed towards leaders, and people to put things right, to care for the poor, to love righteousness, for Nehemiah to come and reestablish broken down walls and derelict cities. To give places of work for the perfumer and for the goldsmith. God, to put things right. Our hearts long for this, Lord. God, I pray that even as we sit in this season of longing and as we let it sometimes wash over us, the heartache that we experience in this life, the hurt and the destruction that, that points us to a deeper longings. God, I pray that they might point us to you, that our hearts would be moved towards you. That our desire would be for you. God, so often, our energy is put into the things of this world. Or maybe the longing becomes so much that we just want to, to numb it because the ache is so great. God, I pray that we here would sit in the longing and that we would go to you and cry out, come Lord Jesus, come. Come, we long for the day when heaven and earth will once again kiss perfectly. As we see in Jesus, heaven and earth colliding, God in the flesh, God made man. So our hearts long. The kingdom of God to come to bear on earth perfectly as it is in heaven. God, stir up in us these holy longings. And meet us in the tension of these seasons. And as Rowan Williams uh, told us this morning in this meditation, would it point us to you and the God of grace? Hear our prayers, Lord. We offer them in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Second City Sermons Podcast. We hope this sermon has encouraged you to worship God and to celebrate the gospel of Jesus. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and joining us in person each Sunday at 10 a.m. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks again for listening. God bless.